So once again, I want to welcome um, this uh, online audience. You know, we, we've had um, online church in a sense for quite some time because we always have the option of uh, people going online. But, but this is the first time we've actually had exclusively online church. So this, this is really a new uh, experience for us. So um, appreciate your patience as we just sort of navigate this and uh, you know, try to, to work it out ourselves. So thankful for our amazing uh, production team and, and all of those that are, are here serving with us today. And, and hopefully in uh, just a couple weeks, we will be back to our normal services. You know, I was thinking my, the first Sunday morning I ever preached was in December of 1981. And every consecutive Sunday since then, I haven't preached every Sunday, but church as normal has gone on uh, every Sunday since then. So this is unprecedented. This is something that uh, we've not seen anything like this before. And, and it's pretty amazing what's happened. Um, I put out a video earlier this week. Uh, uh, you know, we were uh, part of the week, we were going to go one direction. And then by the end of the week and through a lot of conversation and prayer, uh, we decided that this was really the best uh, course of action for us. And, and the thing that's fascinating to me is to see how um, this is really uh, pretty much what's happening, not only with churches, but also with synagogues and with mosques all throughout the country. So I think the positive thing is everybody's rising to the occasion. And of course, the objective in not... Uh, gathering congregationally is that we want to keep the virus from spreading. We want to keep people from getting infected. And so uh, we really felt like the Lord just put it on our heart that that is exactly what we were supposed to do. And so we're happy to do that today. We're glad that you have joined us uh, from your home or wherever it is that you might be. And um, so we're going to jump into our message this morning. Uh, I've entitled the message, Hope in Troubling Times. And I think as most of us um, would agree, we are living in troubling times. And we would have said that a month ago. We would have said that six months ago. Um, th these are interesting days that we're living in. But with the arrival of the coronavirus and its potential for widespread societal chaos and possible high death toll among certain members of the population, the times have suddenly become exponentially even more troubling. So times were troubling two weeks ago, but it seems that they are more troubling now. It's clear from the behavior of many that fear has overtaken their lives and they are deeply troubled by the current situation. I was reading an article in um, USA Today and it was a great article, really. I think it was very well written. It was a really uh, balanced article in, in the sense that it was talking about just, you know, let's get uh, a real perspective on this. And um, so I wanted to, to read a couple of segments from that article throughout my message today. And I want to start with the first part of the article that talked about 
um, what it appears is happening because of uh, the things that we've seen occur here in the past few days. So uh, it states this, coast to coast, large public gatherings and major events have been canceled. Employees have been told to work from home. Universities have moved all classes online and elementary schools have closed for sanitizing. The stock market has seen uh, meteoric crashes. Declarations of emergency are being proclaimed. And New York has deployed the National Guard to the hard-hit city of Rochelle, north of New York City. Uh, As the number of confirmed cases of illness grows, so does the nation's collective uncertainty. Psychologists and public health experts say public anxiety is high. And I think that's uh, absolutely the case. Public anxiety is high. I was in the market uh, the other night, a completely unexpected um, situation as I walked into the local little market that I shop at. It's not really a big supermarket. But as I went in, uh, I saw lines longer than I'd ever seen before. But there was a lady in front of me, and um, she just had this distressed look on her face. And part of it was the length of the line that she was standing in. And she commented on that, but then she also made the comment. She said, this is scary. And I thought, wow, that's, the, that's kind of just the sense that people have uh, throughout our world today. And to be afraid and troubled by such things is a perfectly normal first response. I, I want... I just feel like it's important to recognize that. It's not a bad thing to be uh, frightened by this. These are potentially frightening things, even for the Christian. You know, as Christians, we're human like anybody else. And uh, these things are are frightening. We think of the potential um, catastrophic results of of something like this. We know in past history there have been plagues that have wiped out many people. Uh, We all have um, family members, older family members that we love and we care about. And and all of these things. So it makes it understandable that our first response to this would be uh, to be frightened, but it's not the place that we are to remain. That's also important to recognize. God understands that we can be frightened. That's why he's told us many times in scripture, uh, fear not. We'll talk about that in a moment. But none other than Jesus himself, he told us not to be troubled by troubling things. His, His own disciples were troubled. They were frightened. They didn't know the future. And he said these words to them. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. And so we want to take what Jesus said to heart today. We want to um, lay hold of the word that he has for us and, and not be troubled by these things. Now, when our hearts are troubled, it's usually because of fear. Uh, John, in his first letter, he tells us that fear um, brings torment, and, and it's true, when we're afraid of things, we're tormented, we're troubled by it. But he also then went on to say, perfect love cast out fear. And perfect love is a reference to God's love for us. God loves us perfectly, and if we understand that, that will help to quell 
our fears. And so what we want to do today is we want to just ask the question, how should we as Christians be responding to this current situation? And I also want to say up front that we're also going to be appealing to some of you, perhaps you're, you're not a Christian. Perhaps you haven't even attended church in years, but you're, for one reason or another, you're, you're tuning in uh, to our uh, online service today. And we want to let you know that there's hope in the midst of these things. And even if it became the worst case scenario, uh, there's still hope because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we're going to come back to that at the end of our teaching time. But how should we as Christians be responding to this uh, current situation? Well, number one, we should not be responding in fear. Now, like I've already said, it's, it's understandable to have fear, but we, we can't remain there. And of course, um, God has given us many words of uh, exhortation in regard to fear. Many, many times over, the Lord has spoken in his word, and he just simply said, don't be afraid. And so I think it would be good for us just to remind ourselves of a few of those statements. And first of all, uh, in Isaiah 41.10, one, one of the great passages uh, in regard to the whole issue of fear, the Lord speaking, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so, of course, whenever God says, do not fear, it's because people are afraid. And he wants to comfort us. He wants to encourage us that we can put our confidence in him. So fear not, for I am with you. Jesus, in speaking to his followers during his earthly ministry, he spoke to them and he said, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. So Jesus is reminding us of the care and concern that God has for us. He said, even the hairs on, on your head are all numbered by God. So he's really saying, what are you afraid of? If God knows you better than you know yourself, if God's care for you is, is to the extent that he would take the time to know the numbers of hair uh, on your head, then what do you have to be afraid of? But then one of the great fear not passages is found in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter one, verses 17 and 18. Jesus is speaking and he says, do not be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. So Jesus says, and remember this statement here is a post-resurrection statement. This is before Jesus has ever died and gone to the cross. That's why he could say, do not fear uh, because I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and death. So we're gonna come back and look at that at the conclusion of our message today. But these kinds of things 
are things that have um, stricken fear in the lives of people all throughout history. And from the very earliest days of uh, the life and ministry of the church, there have been circumstances that could cause people to be afraid. I, I think we've all heard, and probably even recently, we've heard about the Black Death or the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague. It's all basically the same thing, but that was that horrific um, plague that struck Europe between uh, the 1300s and the 1600s. And they say that as, as many as 200 million people died as a result of the, the Black Plague. Um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he lived and ministered through the Black Plague. And just as Christians are tempted to be fearful today, uh, they were tempted to be fearful at that time. And so Luther wrote to uh, believers. He was not just a, a leader of a church, but of course he was the leader of a massive movement. He wrote to believers to encourage them not to be fearful during this time. I'd like to quote to you from Martin Luther. He said, when anyone is overcome by horror and repugnance in the presence of a sick person, he should take courage and strength in the firm assurance that it is the devil who stirs up such abhorrence, fear, and loathing in his heart. He is such a bitter, knavish devil that he not only unceasingly tries to slay and kill, but also takes delight in making us deathly afraid, worried, and apprehensive so that we should regard dying as horrible and have no rest or peace all through our life. And so the devil would excrete us out of this life as he tries to make us despair of God, become unwilling and unprepared to die, and under the stormy and dark sky of fear and anxiety, make us forget and lose Christ, our light and life, and desert our neighbor in his trouble. We would sin thereby against God and man that would be the devil's glory and delight because we know that it is the devil's game to induce such fear and dread. We should in turn minimize it take such courage as to spite and annoy him and send those terrors right back to him. So, so Luther was concerned with two things. He was concerned that Christians would be so overwhelmed with fear that they would abandon the sick and the suffering. And he wanted to encourage them not to do that. Because in, in a sense, Luther said, look, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to die. And of course, Luther knew uh, the truth of scripture, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But, but I think it's interesting that he had that, that deep concern that the sick and the suffering were not abandoned during this time of the plague. And he himself, as well as many others, and this is true historically, that uh, when plagues have struck different communities throughout history, um, the Christians have most of the time, been the ones who at the risk of their own lives and sometimes at the loss of their own lives have stayed to minister. And so point here is that uh, in a sense, this is not new. This is something that has happened over and over again. And, and this is where these verses that we're looking at, the fear not verses, this is where they have real practical application for us. So how do we navigate these times? Number one, we don't fear. Fear not. Secondly, 
we need to navigate these times in faith. And what that means simply is that during these times, we need to trust ultimately in the Lord. Now, thank God for um, our government officials. Thank God for our medical professionals. Thank God that there are people who are taking this seriously and they're doing all they can to, to try to prevent the spread of this virus. But, you know, in the end, ultimately, our hope is in the Lord. And um, I, I'm, I'm thankful that the president declared today as a national day of prayer, because this is the thing that, that we do during these crises. We pray. We believe that there's a God who hears. We believe that there is a God who intervenes. And as I said, ultimately, we are putting our trust in the Lord. Now, when we're talking about having faith, we must realize, too, that faith is not foolishness or presumptuous. Because here's the two extremes. There's the one extreme in reacting in fear. So we look out only for ourselves. We don't care about anybody else. But then there's the other extreme of being presumptuous. And Luther actually addressed that other extreme as well. This is what he said. He said, others sin on the right hand. They are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are. I, I think this is really relevant because, you know, some have suggested that uh, Christians not holding service today is because there's a lack of faith. There's a lack of trust in God. Um, that is certainly not the case with me. And that is not the case with anybody that I know who is pastoring a church who made a decision to go online. But actually what we've done is we've looked at the, the, um, the effort uh, to stop the spread of the virus and not to be in a situation where potentially people are going to infect one another. And we've said, you know, this is the best course of action. And uh, we're going to trust God to take care of us even if we don't have a meeting, even if we're not gathering, because whether we're gathered here or where you are in your homes or wherever it might be, we are still the church. But I think Luther hit on something here. He's dealing with presumption, and that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. When we're talking about faith, we're talking about ultimately trusting God, but we're talking about taking the wise and the necessary actions as well. And that's what um, many, many churches have uh, chosen to do. And I know across the country, there's different restrictions that have been put up. There's different suggestions. There's different limitations. Here in our state, in California, our governor asked that there would not be any meetings of over 250 people. And uh, of course, we couldn't have a, a regular church service and accommodate that. So for us, the best um, idea was to go ahead and do online church. And so again, thank you for joining us. But talking about faith, so trusting in the Lord, that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. And there's some great texts that in, exhort us to trust in the Lord. I think of Psalm uh, 37 verses three through five, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I love this word here, 
trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. You know, this is telling us to remember the faithfulness of God. And it's in times like this that um, our trust is strengthened as we think back over the faithfulness of God throughout our lives. Think of all the times that God has come through for us. Uh, But not only our lives, but think of other people, other believers. Think of how God has faithfully come through for them. And then, of course, we have the biblical text that's full of the faithfulness of God. From the very beginning to the end, we, we have these wonderful stories of these people who God has proven himself faithful on their behalf. And, and the writer of the psalm says, feed on that. Strengthen yourself through that. And that's how our faith grows as we feed upon the faithfulness of God that helps us to trust more and more in the Lord. One of the great passages on trusting the Lord is found in Isaiah chapter 26, verses three and four. And there it says this, you will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. And now here's that word, trust in the Lord. And this is in the Lord, in Yahweh, in the creator God. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yahweh is everlasting strength. What a, what a beautiful encouragement and a promise. The promise is you will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So as we've got all of this fear around us and as we have this sort of you know, semi-chaotic situation going, um, how do we have peace in the midst of this? Well, we're told here, Trust in the Lord and put our minds upon the Lord. Fix our minds upon him. Now, that passage that I referred to earlier, where, remember, Jesus was speaking uh, post-resurrection, he says there, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and death. Um, We need to remember who it is who's speaking. And, And there he says, I am the first and the last. When Jesus says, I am the first and the last, he's identifying himself as the God um, of the scripture. He's identifying himself as as God, as as he would be known in the Old Testament. He's identifying himself as, as the creator of all things. And just in case anybody doubts that, um, when Jesus says, I am the first and the last, he's actually quoting directly from Isaiah 44, 6. Listen to what it says. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. So the one who says, do not be afraid, is the one who is the first and the last. And that's another way of saying the eternal one. And so we are called, secondly, to trust in the Lord, and God has given us plenty of encouragement to do that in the biblical text, but he's given us plenty of reasons in our own lives and the lives of the saints and in the scriptures to do that as well. And that brings us to our third point. Our third point is that we navigate these times um, in rest. God wants us to rest. And so that 
10th verse of the 46th Psalm that we read together today, that beautiful verse, be still and know that I am God. Think about that for a moment. Be still and know that I am God. You see, when fear strikes us, when troubling time comes, troubling times come, then we're, we're agitated and there, there's a tendency toward panic. And then we start behaving irrationally and, and we see things like uh, the hoarding that's going on with some of the, the products. We see the, the overcrowded uh, shopping um, places, the, the supermarkets. We see people uh, going to excess with uh, rolls of toilet paper and things like that. You see, this is what happens when you're in a panic state. But God calls us to not panic. When it says, be still, the idea is that I, I'm going to rest. I'm, I'm going to trust in the Lord. When we start to panic and we become irrational, then we're only thinking about ourselves. We're only looking out for ourselves. And that's the very antithesis of what we are to do. Um, that, of course, is the opposite of what Jesus did, who he did not look out for his own interests, but the interests of others. And it's in a time like this that we really should seek to do that. And so be still, rest, know that I'm God. Don't panic. Don't become irrational. Don't hoard. Um, you know, it's interesting because the people in the retail world are saying um, there's plenty of supplies. There's no need for people to... Um, you know, come herding into the supermarkets and stocking up, uh, every, everything's going to be okay. And so I, I think especially as Christians, we want to really be careful not to get caught up in this type of a thing. Now, part of the reason why this is happening, I think, is because there is somewhat of an unrealistic perspective on what's going on. So I think it's important that we have a realistic view of the situation at hand. And I think if we get a realistic view, it will help us. Now, I referred earlier to, and I read from the article that I read uh, in the USA Today a newspaper. And, and the point of that article was basically that uh, things aren't as bad as some people are saying that they are or, or even might be. So we need to pull back from the hysteria and we need to just consider things as they really are. So I want to come back to the article because the article addressed um, just this issue of how it is that you've got this information on the one hand that seems to be calming, but then you're getting this other information. It seems like there's a conflicting message that's being sent out. So this is what uh, the writer said. The good news is for most people, the illness caused by the coronavirus is generally mild and the flu-like symptoms of fever and cough don't last long. The bad news is the virus is new, novel, and highly contagious, and right now there is not a vaccine. The elderly and those with compromised immune systems or chronic disease can become very sick and in some cases die. The bad news, good news dichotomy can make people feel as though they are getting mixed messages. Reports say most people who contract the coronavirus experience symptoms similar to the flu, then people hear stories about the National Guard helping with the quarantine containment. 
Um, if, the, if the risk to most people is mild to moderate symptoms, why does it feel as if the world is shutting down? Those are really good questions that they're asking here because that, it does seem there is this, this good news, bad news dichotomy. And so they go on to explain that. Uh, public health officials are trying to tamp down the infectivity curve. And then it goes on, think of it like the top of a wave. They're trying to keep it from going up too sharply. If it goes up too fast and too high, the people who need healthcare will be crowding hospitals all at once, making it impossible for everyone who needs to get the care. And so this is what, this is what the experts are saying. And perhaps you've even seen this in some of the news reports. They're talking about flattening the curve. The problem in Italy, evidently, is that because they didn't pay attention to the virus, everything spiked. And now they've got more cases than they're able to handle. And that now is the goal in other places in the world and here in the United States is to avoid that, to flatten the curve so you don't have a spike. But as the virus spreads, it, it spreads um, out a little more um, evenly, and so you don't have this, this burden that's placed upon our medical system, which would then uh, prevent the people that really needed getting the help from getting the help. So when I saw that and understood that and had communication with friends of mine in the medical field who were saying that that is really the issue, to me it became clear that, okay, we need to do our part to help flatten the curve. But to finish up the article here, it goes on and it, it speaks to the issue of the media. So um, here's, here's what it says. It says, health experts say the media has an important role to play. It must dispense accurate information without being sensational. And it must avoid exploiting people's fears, saying deadly virus can be misleading because the virus is not deadly for most people. And so I think this was a great, like I said, I think it was a great article and a great perspective and just sort of challenging the media with, the, with being responsible in their reporting. Yes, when you, when you say, when you report this as a deadly virus, suddenly everybody's panicking, thinking, oh no, I'm gonna get this or I'm gonna die. My kids are gonna get it, they're gonna die. My family members are gonna, they're gonna die. And so I, I'm, I'm glad that here they, they put out that challenge to be responsible in the reporting on this. Now, just to put it all in perspective, the, um, the current situation as of last night was that there were 156,500 approximately uh, cases worldwide worldwide, 156,500, and 5,800 deaths. Now, in the U.S., um, this statistic last night was uh, 2,499. I heard that it ticked over into 2,500 plus, uh, and the, the, the death toll had been 55. Now, again, to put it in perspective, and not to diminish um, the seriousness of it, or not to diminish the, the sadness of the loss of life. All loss of life is sad, of course. Um, but the, the statistics for uh, the death toll for the flu annually is about between 56,000 and 61,000. 
people die worldwide, 56,000, 61,000 die worldwide from the flu. So we see here that the numbers in comparison are actually quite low. The goal, of course, is to keep those numbers from going up higher, and that's why we are having online church. So we're not taking the risk of infecting people. We have a a significant number of elderly people in our church, and we want to keep them safe. We love them, and we want to make sure that uh, they're not at risk. And um, let me just say this, too, to those of you in our congregation that are listening, and if you're even uh, from maybe another congregation, you might want to take this to heart as well. Um, But here in our congregation, there are many who are younger who would know some of the older people in the church And this is a great opportunity now for us to reach out, to be in touch, to ask them if we can help them. Um, I I wouldn't want to see my parents have to go out and shop in some of the, the chaos that's out there. So maybe just offering to go out and do some shopping or bring a meal or something like that, that could be really helpful. So whether you're part of our church and you know some of the elderly people and you would say, yeah, I'm going to do that, that would be great. But, but even if you're not, if you know people that might be in a situation like that, I really want to encourage you to, um, to, at this time, to reach out in these creative ways and see if you can't do something as practical as maybe just go shop for them. Now, as we, as we close today, I want to just, for a moment, I just want to talk about what, what's happening with the fear situation. And, and I think part of what's happening with the coronavirus is that it has brought to mind some of the deadly plagues of the past. And, and of course, in the media, uh, there's a comparison. You, you're starting now to read about the Black Death. You're starting to read about the Spanish flu. You're starting to hear the statistics. And, um, and, and so what's happening is people, because of this information, people are, are sort of being confronted with uh, their own mortality. You know, we tend to forget that we are uh, mortals. We, we tend to forget that we have a limited lifespan. We, we tend to sort of think we're going to just go on and on and nothing's ever going to touch us. And suddenly this is brought to the forefront of every one of us that, wow, this, this is real stuff. As I mentioned, the Black Plague, the Black Death, the Bubonic Plague, all, all three of those refer to the same um, disease. Uh, there were approximately 200 million people over that period of time that died as a result of the Black Plague, that's between 1,300 and 1,600 in Europe uh, predominantly. And something more close to us, time-wise, would be the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu hit the world just about 100 years ago, 1918 through 1920, and they estimate between 20 million and 50 million people perished as a result of the Spanish flu. So when you start hearing numbers like that, and I had a friend who uh, I was having a conversation with about this, and I, you know, back before we were finding out all the details, I said, hey, this is just the flu. And he wrote me back and said, yeah, it was just the Spanish flu that took out all those millions of people as well. So point is, because uh, all of this is now out in... Um, in the conversation, in the culture, 
I think people are being frightened by that. People are being reminded of our own mortality. You know, the Greek philosopher Epicurus said, uh, it is possible to provide security against other ills, but as far as death is concerned, we men live in a city without walls. And how true that is. We live in a city without walls. Most of the time, like I said, we feel like we're pretty invincible, especially if we're healthy, if everything's going our way. Uh, the last thing on our radar is, is ever dying. But then suddenly we're confronted with something that, that causes us to realize how vulnerable we really are, how fragile life actually really is. And so that's a truth that we need to take to heart and yet, the good news in the midst of all of that is that there is a way to escape death. And it's actually not just a way to escape death, but there is a person who has defeated death. And of course, that person is Jesus Christ. And so our message today is a message for those who already know Jesus and believe in him to trust him. To not be afraid, as he told us to not be afraid, and to put our confidence in him, and to be still and know that he's God, and to rest, and, and to let him take us through this uh, season of, of challenging types of things. But perhaps today, uh, you're listening, you're watching, maybe you've showed up at a friend's house, or maybe you just turned on the internet, and somehow you're, you're hearing my words today, and yet you don't know Christ. You can't say that you can look death in the eye and say, you know, I'm not afraid because I know who I have believed in. I, I know my Redeemer lives. A man in the Bible named Job, uh, he was confronted with death. He was very ill, and in the midst of all of that, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that even though my flesh will be destroyed, that one day in my flesh, I will see God. He knew that there was a redeemer and he knew that there was a resurrection and he knew that by faith. And we know that now because that redeemer has actually come into the world and his name is Jesus. And for anyone who will put their faith and trust in him, he will deliver us from death. That's what he came to do. He, the Bible tells us that he destroyed death. And he uh, takes that, that fear away and he gives us eternal life. Now, some would say, but wait a second. I, you know, lots of Christians I know, of course, Christians still die. Christians die physically, but the Bible describes death not just merely as a physical thing, but more importantly, the Bible describes death as a spiritual thing. So you can be alive physically, but dead spiritually. But when you're dead spiritually and alive physically, when you die, you go into a permanent state of death, which is separation from God. But if you're alive spiritually through faith in Jesus, even if your body dies, you go on living in the presence of the Lord. And then ultimately you will receive a glorified body, just like the body that Jesus had. Remember, he said, I am uh, he who was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore. And then he said this, and I have the keys of hell and death. When Jesus said, I have the keys of hell and death, what he was saying is, I have authority over death and the grave.
He has authority over that. And that authority that he has, having conquered death, he will give that victory to anyone who will put their faith and trust in him. So as we close today, I want to encourage those of you who are believers to not be afraid, to trust in the Lord, and to rest in his goodness and in his faithfulness, to take to heart his word, be still and know that he is God. And if you don't know Christ, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. If you'd like to receive Christ today, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And this prayer said sincerely will bring you into eternal life because this prayer said sincerely is an invitation for the living Christ to come and dwell in your life. And he will take away the fear. He will give you the confidence to be able to face uh, death because of course, uh, this is just a reminder of what's true. Uh, we are mortal. And if the coronavirus doesn't kill us, something else ultimately will, because that is just true of every one of us. But Jesus conquered the grave, and he gives us that victory as well. So um, if you'd like to receive Christ today, I'm going to just lead in a simple prayer. You just pray this prayer. Wherever you're at, just pray this prayer with me. Mean it sincerely from your heart, and you can know that this gift of eternal life will be yours. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died and rose again. And through that, you conquered death. And Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins because it's my sins that have separated me from you. It's my sins that actually caused your death. Lord, forgive my sins and come into my life and I pray that you would give me that gift of eternal life. And I receive you today. And I ask that you would forever take my life now and make it all that you intended to be. I pray that you would take away the fear and the anxiety. And I pray that you would give me the faith to move forward. And Lord, not just to be freed myself from anxiety and fear, but to also become a blessing to others. And so I receive you now. I thank you for your salvation and I praise you. And Lord, we pray, I pray now for anyone that said that prayer, that you would seal them by your spirit and that you would set them on a new path, a path of life to glorify you in Jesus name. Amen.